Are a lot of people mad at you right now? I think so. I don't know. Uh, actually, I don't know who's actually mad or not, but <laughs> me and Tyler do these theology videos, and uh, I am not the guy who should be doing that, but they asked me. So what Yeah, why'd they... So what was their logic for picking you? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. They were just like, hey, I think this would work really well. I go, I will not work with Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Tales from the Ditch. This is Sean. I'm in the podcast studio right now with Seth. We are smoking cigarettes, hand-rolled cigarettes made from pipe tobacco, and it is glorious. The devil's lettuce. And also, uh, we, well, actually, no, I take that back. I take back everything I was about to just say. I was going to say something about uh, the corona, but. I don't know where we are in the corona, really. I don't... I'm so done with... Well, here. I don't want to you know, do a broad stroke, but um, all humans and everything. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm so... Humanity, the world, I just... Trump and Biden are debating in 2020. I just... I'm like, just end it. Just, you, you know how you do stuff. I, I want to be a pre-trib like you now. Just end it. <laughs> just, just do whatever, God. Just sound the trumpets like, I throw in the towel. Yeah. Please I'm not rapture. an overcomer. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not courageous. You know how you do the storm watch? Every yeah. time there's like a bad storm or a natural disaster <laughs> or a yeah. political disaster, you do these updates on Twitter about mm-hmm. storm watch and yeah. you just uh, kind of make some jokes about stuff that's going on yeah. and, and take it more seriously than it actually is and stuff. But then there's at some point the next day when the storm or whatever is still happening and it just is old. And so you stop doing it. I feel like that's how we are in the Rona. Yeah. It was fun and interesting and great to make fun of for a while. And now it's just. Nah. The storm watch, not only did I get bored, but then the riots started and I went, well, this isn't satire anymore. <laughs> and it wasn't that interesting. Yeah. They're like, good one, Seth. Bad weather with a virus and there's looting and riots. <laughs> yeah. And that happened. I went, well, crap. I don't care that much about this anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it, um, <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't shocking anymore because people are like, well, that's happening. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, no, man. it definitely happened. It is. We've had pandemics and riots, social unrest, wildfires, wildfires, and now Trump and Biden. But I want to talk about a fun topic. Well, let's do it. So OCD. Oh, you're going to say abortion first. <laughs> if you're crappy and you know it, wash your hands. That's OCD. <laughs> um, so I've talked a little bit about it. But um, I'm actually calling on viewers, um, if any of you have dealt with this or are dealing with it or actually um, wrestle with this condition, I actually want them to email in. Uh, This is something I've struggled with since I was, I think, seven years old. And I remember at the time, at seven, I genuinely felt like something was wrong with me. Like I went, there's something wrong with me. And I was like, maybe there's something wrong with my brain. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And it didn't get better until um, recently with um, 
therapy and a lot of uh, healthy things in my life, it changed. But it was 30-something years of it just getting worse. Like, way worse. And drug use did not help. Drug use did not yeah. help at all. Um, depression did not help at all. But yeah, uh, OCD. And I don't think... I think you understand the idea of depression, but I don't think you've ever struggled with OCD, have you? I don't think that's ever been a thing for you. Or uh, just as just making jokes about it, but not really a hundred percent. I mean, there's a couple of uh, routines that I have, a couple of things that I have to do occasionally, but for the most part, uh, I'm too. I'm kind of too lazy to be OCD. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> but how did it manifest when you were seven? Because we met. When we were nine, eight or nine-ish, something like that, right? Nine years old, fourth grade, 1993. Fourth grade. Yeah, and um, and I didn't really notice anything like that um, until we started drug use. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like you could really see more of the classic OCD. Not classic OCD, but more of the... Trademark stuff? like Yeah, like the stuff that is joked around about in, in shows and stuff like that. Now, um, before that, what were some things or what were some ways that that came out? Well, the first time I noticed um, was um, I was seven and I was just playing with some neighborhood kids. And we were playing this game where you just uh, pour water on this rock. And if you get a rock like wet or something, it gets darker or looks darker. So we were pretending it was a magic stone, I think. And I remember the other kids were like, well, let's go ride bikes let's leave and i was like okay and i was like uh i'll catch up with you and i put water on the rock again and was gonna walk away and then the second started drying i put water on it again and i realized 30 minutes have gone by and i've been putting water on it hmm. and i have to get the perfect like it was almost like i had to see this perfect darkness on the ro- rocket just right do this thing just right for some reason and i was getting a nod in my stomach because i couldn't stop doing it and i was like that's that's really odd like i don't feel like i can go home until I do this. Um, and I kind of brushed it off. Uh, and then through the years, I started developing things where I'm always fixing my shirt, you know, with my shoulder, like shuffling my shoulders, uh, fixing my fly. Then years later, it got uh, worse where, well, then I have to check the locks and the windows. And then um, uh, I'd even do certain things of like how I set my um, shoes down or you know, different stuff like that, or um, stack of CDs is what I stack remember. of CDs. That was a big one. Had to be in the exact order. I'd I'd have little nervous twitches that later came of going, you know, sniffling and fixing, you know, moving my mouth around like my jaw was too tight. Um, just lots of things. And then at thirty five, I had about like if you call them little traditions or little you know rhythms or whatever, I had like seventeen of them. Mm. Like checking the light was off of my car, making sure everything's unplugged like five or six times. And I had like, so each day I have like 16, 17 something things I have to do exactly right and it has to feel right. Otherwise I can't go to bed or go home or go to work or so. Yeah, they kind of, it just developed over the years and got worse and worse and worse and just, and more and more embarrassing where I just make up lies for it. Of, oh, I forgot something in my car. And I run back to my car, check the light again, you know, instead of saying, Hey, I have to wait here. Now, I remember um, you would have, like, I don't know what the correct term is, but, like, fits where if you weren't able to complete the thing, it really bothered you. Yes. And unfortunately, like, I still have to apologize for when we were (laughs) teenagers and we were doing drugs and it was a funny thing. And I honestly thought it literally was a 
byproduct of the drugs, you know? I didn't realize it was something that went deeper than that because I couldn't have, uh, couldn't have imagined, um, that there's actual consequences for things like trauma and bad childhood. But, yeah, yeah. um, I remember like, like, and actually this is something Jason Bennett, who we've had on the show, told me was unbelievably cruel, but you would get your CDs lined up and me and maybe our other friends would mess them up just a little bit on purpose, just yeah. to like, um, as a joke, mm. but it was actually kind of a dick thing to do. <laughs> and so I remember like when you couldn't finish, what, what do you call it? A rhythm? Yeah. It was almost like a neuro connection. It was, I had to, it was like my brain is firing off and I had to close off that connection. I had to finish it. I had to close that down. Yeah. yeah. And if you didn't, you were just on edge. Yes. I think most of the, you know, everybody talks about Seth as a teenager with his short temper and stuff like that. But I actually thinking back, think that most of those situations where you really lost your temper or went off were probably in the state of not being able to finish one of those rhythms. You know, you had that anxiety. So, so deep and you, and you could see it in your neck muscles and veins. (laughs) It, well, it's this feeling like I felt like, Bill Burr talked about this and I actually, I, I was like, man, he put it so well. He just, it's so funny because he's telling jokes, but he's saying stuff that totally makes sense to me. It's like I was idling at 70 and you know, his, Bill Burr's wife talks about this when he loses his temper. She goes, where'd that come from? And he goes, do you not remember the stories I've told you about childhood? He goes, I idle at like 75. Right. So when you're already there, this, it doesn't take much to amp up to 80 or 90. When you're already on edge and then someone slaps you on the back of the shoulder and you tense up and get pissed or you're already on edge and yeah, like someone messes with you with OCD because they think like, well, we'll just stop. I'm like, I wish I could. And back then I didn't even, I just lied to myself. I wasn't quite sure what it was, but, um, it, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not fun. And, and I know this is the thing that sucks. I am glad more people are talking about mental illness, mental health, stuff like that. Because now it's more open. But I also know there's a lot of people who just throw stuff out and say they have stuff or they're dealing with stuff. And my concern is sometimes if too many people are just saying that without even thinking about going, oh, yeah, I have that, I have that. It can kind of numb it. I mean, dumb it down a little bit or wire it down. Yeah. Because if everyone's depressed and someone says, well, I'm clinically depressed, they go, oh, everyone is. Well, no, not everyone's clinically depressed. Not everyone's, uh, you know, wrestling with suicidal thoughts. And people say, oh, I'm so OCD, like I have to have my room clean. I go, that's not OCD. Right. You can be a clean, like a person who cares about cleanliness and they go, okay, I clean my room, put my shoes. But that doesn't mean that if one thing's out of place, you're going to have a knot in your stomach until you do it 30 times and you're driving back from work because you think you did something wrong and you're checking again and then you drive to work, come back again and you're late to parties or embarrassed. Or di- that's totally different than, well, I keep my room clean. No, that means you keep your room clean. And, and it's just, it's kind of like the thing when people say, I'm scared of clowns. It's a trend. It's a funny thing to say, like, oh, sc- clowns scare me, like TV shows used to that. And I go, no, they actually bother me. And they go, oh, yeah, me too. I go, no, like, I want, they hurt my stomach seeing them. Yeah. Same thing with OCD. Oh, I'm so OCD. The, the waiter didn't get my order right. And I was like, no, it has to be right. I go, no, that makes you a Karen. It's not, <laughs> uh, whereas I like legitimately, I'm turning the lock to check it 
Mm-hmm. And I've done it 30 times and I'm feeling frustrated and not in my stomach and my stomach muscles are tensing up and my arms are t- tensing up. I'm going, why can't you be done? Why can't I do this right? Why can't I just, uh, and I'm trying to get the lock exactly right. And you're frustrated and you're just uh, like feeling tension in your chest, like anxiety. You're, you're feeling like you can't breathe. That's not the same as I want my order right. Well, most people want their order right. Well, I keep my room clean. Well, that's good. But it's like, so... Yeah, and it did, I just kind of shut up about it, because when you bring it up, it's, oh, sure you do, or, oh, we'll just get over it. I go, well, uh, it's not like I enjoy it. Yeah. It's not like I enjoy being embarrassed, or people go, oh, like, I can't tell you how many times I heard this, like, oh, do you leave something in your car? Because I'm looking inside to check for a light. I go, no, I'm not. They go, oh, what are you doing? Like, I want to say, well, it's none of your freaking business. But to have this of, like, I have to do these 18 things, or I can't go to sleep, or I can't rest, or I can't sit down, it's like, no, it's not fun. It's not cool. It's not something I'd brag about and go, oh, it's so awesome um, having people look at you like you're an idiot. It's like, awesome. So, I don't know. That's just some There's thoughts. also uh, one truth about it is, I think, I mean, there's levels, right? There's, like, yeah. people who have ticks that are just, like, things that they have learned to do mm-hmm. that aren't that maybe don't have OCD, like, technically or anything like that. But there's also people who may have OCD, but for a whole different reason. But like, it doesn't always manifest in the way that you see it in shows or in cartoons. And no. I think like one thing with your car, I, I, I think you're checking to make sure the doors are locked and the light on the inside isn't on. Cause if it was on, the battery would die. Now, where did you learn that? Because we've had crappy cars and the light stays on. Yeah. And the battery does die. Well, it's like this. These are just symptoms. See, it's the response. So, like, with the car thing, yes, I had a a battery die. A normal response would be, well, let's say this, not normal. A healthy response would be, okay, I'll try to make sure I do that. It's not healthy to go, I have to look between both lights, check it 15 times, breathe myself. So, the issue is not... Yeah, there's re- here's the thing. You'll find reasons to justify it. You'll say, well, of course I checked the lock. I want someone breaking in. Well, of course I'm looking at the windows. Well, if I left the latch up. But it's the fact of you fixate on it and your brain is sending the signal almost like you didn't check it. You didn't, it never finishes that communication. Yeah, yeah, it's like right. it never finishes the connection. Because a lot of people say there's links to trauma, chaos, issues from growing up to it, and that it's a way of control. Because instead of just saying – well, I'll do my best. I'll check the lock. I'm sure I locked the door and no one's perfect. You know, I can't control everything. Uh, I doubt someone will break in by me. It's possible. Instead of having that stance, you go, no, the lock will be locked. I will make sure it's locked. I will check it so many times. It is without a doubt. I have not even an ounce, not even 1% a possibility that that is not there. And it is. I'm, I'm trying to remember how it was described to me, but there is an issue of control. You're trying to have control of, yeah. no, um, you know, instead of saying, well, I'll do my best, but sometimes batteries die. You go, no, they don't. I will always check that light. That light will be off. I will make sure of it. I will not do it. And you're looking a lot of it. There can be fear intermingled in that. Um, and there are lots of links between that and anxiety and tension and stress and worry and what triggered, but yeah, it's, You'll always find things along the way. That's the thing that sucks to justify it or rationalize it of the ha- of why of what habits you build up or what traditions you make. But that response is the overarching thing, the big umbrella, which is 
for some reason at a young age, your brain developed this response, this way of, you know, OCD, obsessive, compulsive, you know, behavior as a way of managing things and feeling control instead of a healthy way of learning to manage stress. Instead of a healthy way of how to deal with, you know, how you feel of the world and worries and fears, you have this almost like overly focused, enhanced, like hyper vigilant, you know, I, I, I'm going to have everything, make sure I do it exactly right and repeat it in these traditions. And it's almost like putting all these um, uh, safety railing around you and different things. And just uh, there's, it's crazy because there's interesting science that they're doing with it. And some of the people uh, are debating what treatment to use and how to deal with it. And, um, but it feels weird to legitimately like look at something you did it. And literally two seconds later, your brain's all night. <clears throat> you need to check that. And like yeah. it tells you, you need to check that now. And there is nothing more in the world you want than to check that and like see it. And it is like a disorder. There's yes. like classified. Yeah. Yeah. There is like a chemical missing or a neuron not firing or something some, like that. Some weird, I'm trying to remember how they described it because I've talked about it in counseling, but the science behind it, I've only read a few times. From what I understand, it's like you have the signal firing in your brain and it doesn't yeah. shut off. It keeps firing. Right. But a lot of that, I believe, is from developmental stuff growing up so early on. Because that's, if you think of it, that's great. That's where your brain is learning. How do we react to our world? How do we engage with it? And that, for some screwed up reason, is how it learned to engage. It goes, we were, we will hyper-focus on some things, be hyper-vigilant, and literally fixate on some things until we get it, until we do it. And that was how my brain apparently learned how to process and engage. Yeah, I'm so, reading a book that talks about codependency. Yeah. <clears throat> and it talks about uh, one major symptom of codependency is um, compulsiveness. Not to the, not necessarily to the state of a disorder, but, um, whenever you're doing, like, if for the sake of your security or your well being, whenever you're doing compulsive things, um, usually that can be tied back to your codependence. Now it could be anything, I'm sure, but it sounds like the codependency, like, which obviously starts when you're very young, um, results in some desire to have control like you were saying, and that results in that compulsive behavior, not necessarily to the state of a disorder, I'm sure, because mm -hmm. we're all, you know, on nuanced levels of <laughs> uh, codependency and trauma and stuff like that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's like the, the, the main thing is like, you are trying to, you're trying to use your body to achieve some brain state somehow, mm -hmm. like you're searching for some brain state that that gives you comfort or something like that or security. And, uh, it's, it sounds terrible. It, it really, it, the thing is, it's your brain is crazy. Like it's trying to deal with a wound. It's trying mm -hmm. to deal with trauma. It's trying to deal with, okay, we couldn't control this. We can't handle this. We can't, you know, it's trying to give you some system. It's interesting to process or handle things, or it's as simple as it's just, that's the way it learned of, no, this is how we handle things. We learn that, developmentally like this is how we engage or how we fix that problem or like if it's like my brain said okay what do we do when we are afraid yeah be hyper vigilant okay right. what do we do when we don't think things are in control get tunnel vision and give all your focuses and don't care about anything else. that's why i would get mad when i'm focusing on something and someone distracts me and i almost get irritated like what and it's because i'm hyper focused it really like our brains really are trying to like 
manage things and do things for us. Even like the whole idea of like when someone doesn't remember something, a lot of the time it's your brain is trying to protect you. It was like, no, at the time we couldn't handle that. Yeah. So we're like, no, we, we can't think about that. So it's hard because there's these things where you could say, you know, it's almost like good intentions, like, thank you for trying to manage it, but it's not really healing. It really is just vaguely managing it of, oh, Seth is really scared. Seth is terrified of something. Well, just make him always focus on everything to the nth degree until he gets it perfectly right. And we will prod him and drive him until he does it exactly the way he should the rest of his life. And we'll be fine. And it's like trying to manage that instead of, you know, a kind of healthy response of, yes, there are things in the world to be scared of, but I can't control them all. I can do what's reasonable of certain reasonable precautions. I can wear a seatbelt. I can, you know, get a security system. I can have a job to try to have food on the table, but I also have to have some, you know, ability to let go of, but I might get hit by a car across the street or a security system could fail and some could still break in or they could never break in. My wife could live to a hundred or she could get a disease. And it's not to be apathetic. It's to be a little more reasonable of what can you actually control? How much attention do you this? Um, and even going back to, and when did this start? What what age was it when this started? And why did your little brain think this is how we need to handle this? Yeah. This is what we need. And, and even realizing, hey, I'm not that age anymore. Like almost like a chat with yourself. Like, hey, you know, we're not seven anymore. Yeah. I know we did this to survive. We don't have to anymore. Um, so there's lots, there's just so much to it. And it's interesting because a lot of this now is, yeah, just looking at people's brains um, and what it's connected to. Um, there's a... I think, don't quote me on this, I think there is a higher level of OCD among not just trauma, but people with uh, certain forms of PTSD. So there's yeah, lots yeah. of links of just, y your brain's trying, but it didn't find the right way to engage or the healthy, balanced way. Um, and it's the same thing, uh, like perfect example, these people who just couldn't handle things growing up, so all they did was learn to disengage, just pull away. Well, then they get married and their spouse has a conflict. And even if it's not a big conflict, even if their spouse isn't being mean, the spouse says something and they immediately disengage, pull away, don't talk. Right. And you go, well, why are they so stupid? Why are they, why can't they show emotion? Why are they so stubborn? That That's how they learned. That legitimately is. They go, that's how we protect ourselves. We di we pulled away. We disengaged. We alienated ourselves because the alternative to us seemed overwhelming or terrifying or just too much. But now you're going, well, but – you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. So it's it's interesting the things we learn where basically it's almost like this bar, this deal we make with ourselves of, look, we got to survive. Here's what we're going to do. And you come up with this plan. And then years later, you go, I don't like this deal anymore. I yeah. don't want to survive this way. So You know what I've realized about myself? Not, I don't have an OCD that I know of or anything like that, <clears throat> but kind of just in that same vein of that. Uh, what's that book? The body keeps score or the body keeps count or something like that. The body. Yeah. Something like that. But the whole concept yeah. is like, sometimes, um, your brain moves on from things because they're traumatic, yeah. but your body still holds that reacts in. to them somehow. Yeah. And, um, anyway, so I realized like, uh, whenever my dad was mad or disappointed or depressed or angry or something like that around me, he would always sigh. He'd always be like, <sighs> do you remember my dad doing that? Yeah. He'd do that one. <laughs> so he'd always be like, 
Uh, he does it in a weird way that I can't do. Anyways, uh, just a small thing like that, right? Now, as an adult, as a freaking grown ass man, anytime anybody sighs around me, the, I get tense. Yeah. And the thought is, you are such a failure. Wow. You're so worthless. Like, you, whatever it is that you're in the midst of, you're not able to please this person. You know what I mean? Wow. I know. And when I go back, oh, I'm just realizing it now. And when I go back all these times, remember, at, you know, I would always say, like, when we were hanging out with a bunch of other people, and I would always say, like, um, I can't really have a good time unless I know everybody's having a good time. Like, yeah. I can't, can't really enjoy myself if I know that this person over here or whatever. And you would say occasionally, and everybody would say, they go, everybody's having a good time. Nobody's upset. But I know for a fact I heard somebody sigh. You know what I mean? <laughs> or and I'd say, just... screw them. Who cares? Well, why do you <laughs> exactly. give a crap? And you're like, I just, it's just, but we didn't have the tools to diagnose anything. Mm -hmm. I, I went, well, it's just because Sean likes people having fun. But you really said, you're like, I don't enjoy it unless I know everyone is. And I'd even look around and go, well, it feels like they, what? Yeah, I'd rather leave yeah. than be there knowing that somebody's having a bad time. Yeah. Which is also why I, I don't like that. vomiting. We talked about that earlier. Oh, it's just worst. knowing that anybody has to experience that is not okay with that me. That is, dude. That's like a sigh from hell. That's like a sigh where demons come out where of your soul. Where I feel like that's coming on, I'm like, just kill me. Yeah. I seriously, I will fight it so much. It's like, nope, I will do worst. breathing techniques. I'll take ginger. I am not puking. Ugh. It's like, you'll feel better. I don't care. I want to die. I am not. I hate the feeling of vulnerability, too. Of yeah. I am never you weaker than when I am puking. I'm yeah. like, I am pathetic at that moment. Ugh, yeah. I hate it so much. It's the worst thing no it, it it's hard too because there's a balance it's so i can't control some of the things adults did uh or what they said to me necessarily but it is now my responsibility mm. as an adult whether i'm gonna seek tre treatment or how i respond to it like if you say like say you're in a marriage and you have this terrible temper and it turns out your dad just beat the crap out of you like Okay, you, you can't control when you were six how your dad was or if right. he was an alcoholic. But now it is 100% your responsibility to seek out treatment now, though. Now yeah. you can do something about it. And for the sake of your relationships, I do think you're 100% responsible because now that you're aware of it and know what it could do or damage your relationships or even harm your children or spouse, I, I think there is an obligation. I think leaders, too, have an obligation that when they see there's something unhealthy in them, for sake of the people you lead, even if it's, it should be for yourself, but even just for sake of the people you lead, if you're aware of that, you couldn't help it back then. You can't look at a five-year-old and go, why'd your dad leave your mom? That's on him. He was an adult. But now as an adult, okay, I'm so sorry. That sucks. That hurt. I love you. What do you want to do about it? And, and, yeah. that, and that's not a judgment of like, fix it. It's no, there are options out there. There are, see that, that was bothering me. That <laughs> there are. There are uh, options out there. That's healthy. Um, <laughs> that took effort. There, there are options out there, but you need to, I can't force someone to want. Like if someone yes. says I'm addicted to alcohol, cool. That's actually really good. You admitted that. Yeah. And there are options, but I can't force you. And as much as this is most likely from other things in your life, now you do have a responsibility, especially because yeah, if you go out there and get drunk and hit someone with a car, yeah, that, 
as sad as that it like I get your life was hard, that's on you now. Now this is the only time in your life you can control now a little bit or have some responsibility. So it's I couldn't control certain things back. I can control uh, the first friend I ever made died when I was five. I can't change mm-hmm. that. What do I want to do about now? Yeah. What? And even when you meet with someone, a lot of times they go, what do you want to get out of this? Because you have to put in the work too. It's people go like, that sucks. That's hard. Well, yeah, but that's, that, that really is a part of life as you are going to see. There are many things that you have to fight through and wrestle through. So I like what you said. It's your responsibility now but you didn't leave it at that to seek out treatment because um, I feel like maybe some of those people in that situation, right. The alcoholic or the abuser or something mm-hmm. like that, they would, um, they would say it is my responsibility now. So I need to just nut up and mm-hmm. stop being this way, which is never successful now um, or at least very seldom successful. So it's like super important to maybe seek out treatment isn't the best blanket thing, but to search for help outside of yourself. You know? Yes. Yeah. Cause you can, uh, even if it's not a licensed counselor, if you can just find someone who knows what questions to ask that you yeah. wouldn't yeah. or find someone who goes, I have seen or found, um, or researched or it's happened in my life, proven methods. Yeah that can benefit you in this area. Okay. Versus when I've heard people say, just stop. Yes. If we tell a veteran with PTSD, just stop. Some of them are going to end up, well, they put a bullet in their head and I'm not saying that to just like be shocking. It's they literally are going, I can't, I need help. So seeking someone outside yourself or help outside yourself, I think is incredibly beneficial because it is. Because there's been questions people wiser than me have asked where I go, I, I wouldn't even thought to process that way. Right. They're just giving you, and that's the thing, they're not going to do work for you. They're just giving you the tools. Yeah. That's really it. Even a book, I mean, again, that's seeking uh, wisdom outside of yourself, you know? And so, I, yeah, I think like that responsibility being on you is a huge calling to every every person in existence to say, hey, am I healthy in this? Yeah. And if not, how can I heal from it? And, and that's honestly one of the hardest parts. Seeking outside wisdom from people, uh, it's embarrassing. It's, uh, you're, you're, it's scary. You could be manipulated by somebody or maybe you don't pick the right person. It's, it's a hard to do that. It's yeah. scary to do that. It, um, even people who have unhealthy sexual relationships because of, uh, inappropriate sexual relationships with adults growing up or molestation stuff. Um, no way do you blame the kid. I'm sorry. When you're four right. or five, you don't even know what sexuality truly is, that it's the adult. But if you get older and you start seeing your unhealthy and sexual relationships are abusive, well, now you do need to go, I, man, I need to address this because you don't know how bad that could go. I mean, even just the idea of, oh, I got arrested for cheating on my wife with a prostitute. Yeah, you couldn't help when you're four or five, but now, now it is your duty. Now it is your responsibility. And I'm not judging people for failing. I'm not judging them for saying, well, I don't know if I'm even ready to get help. I get it, but I'm just saying that's going to have to come. Otherwise, you don't know how sideways this is going to go. You don't know how far is that going to go. How long can you have this wound? This and my, a friend of mine made a good point. I've stopped calling them scars of calling them wounds because a scar is actually healed. But a wound, it's like, 
you're bleeding to death. And it's like, at some point, well, you need to get that stitched up or something or addressed. So that's hard because also it's not to lecture people. I've had some people where it's just it, the idea of going and talking to someone is crippling to them. Just terrible. So even just the first step's hard. But it's it's hard because you look at me and go, man, I can't make them do the work, but I know they need help. And there's and there's nothing else I can say. So it's our brains are weird. How people respond to trauma is interesting and just a lot of those things developmentally are, are such a huge th- huge thing later on where they just it's it's funny you can have one event when you're seven or eight and that affects you twenty years later still. So it's funny, um like I think it's even, I mean, it's even harder or not harder. Um, it's even less common for somebody who's, uh, prestigious in some regard to seek that out. So it's like, uh, you're a pastor. Oh, yeah. You're a pastor. You're not supposed to be in therapy. Yeah. You're supposed to have already figured it out. Figured it right? out. Yeah. Um, I'm a deacon, but also like there's, there's prestige in just being a husband or a father. Mm-hmm. Or, a mom or a teacher or whatever, there's all these positions that we create where we say we're not supposed to be, we're not, we're not allowed to be unhealthy. We're not allowed to need them. We're supposed to be the healed. Yeah. And I think like that's a, you know, a cultural conversation that, um, probably doesn't happen enough, but, um, I've been going to counseling or I just started going to counseling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of you and other people who are close to me have said, uh, it's a good idea. You probably desperately need it. <laughs> and uh and the counselor that i'm seeing it's kind of one one of the things that he has said is yeah like leaders this um guy is a really good guy and he counsels uh people within our church specifically in sparks and he said some of the hardest people to actually get to open up or heal is leaders because they are used to being the leader. Yeah. They're used to doing the counseling, not receiving the counseling, you know? And they're the least open, but they're also the least able to be vulnerable. And it makes sense because the conversation is that you need, hey, you're unhealthy. You need to go to a leader. They'll solve your problems. But that's not accurate, you know? I can't tell you how many people I've recommended where I did soul care with them and I give them a name. And they're like, what's this? I go, oh, it's a professional uh, therapist. And they're like, but you're a pastor. I go, yeah, but you may have biological issues I don't know. You just told me you had this many years of trauma. And I have to be able to swallow my pride sometimes and go, this is out of my depth. It's one thing if a guy goes, hey, like, um, you know, I've kind of just been wrestling with um, this little thing that's kind of mildly frustrating. Can we just talk about it? Yeah, I can handle that. When a guy says, when a girl says, my father molested me for 20 years and almost beat me to death, there's stuff there that I can pray with her and care for her, but I have to go, I think you need to see someone who's an expert, like a professional, Mm -hmm. because this is going to be a journey that you need someone to give you, one, tons of time, two, uttermost focus that they can walk you through professionally, they know what to ask and do. Right. And, And there's just things I wouldn't even know what to do. It just... And there are people I've met where they tell me these horror stories where I go, I can barely listen to this. How can I walk you through it? And it's right. okay to say, hey, I'm not that guy. I want to get you help and recommend them. I have like three or four people who I recommend where I go, hey, I would talk to this person. And it's not to be mean. I, I tell them, I go, we can still meet. <laughs> I say, we can still meet, but 
Um, and I'll talk to you, but I am recommending for deep help and guidance in this to go this professional to walk you through it. I'm happy to chat with you, but just know this is not gonna, um, this is not gonna get the job done. Well, and sometimes, uh, I'll just speak from within the church community. Um, cause I feel like I have a right to comment on that, but yes. sometimes there's a, there's a bias. Like if you're doing marital counseling yeah, and you're a pastor, you want more than anything for these people to reconcile and work it out. Yeah. And that bias may honestly inform the counseling that you give oh, absolutely. those people. Absolutely. Even if really sometimes if there's like abuse, yeah, maybe there, there's a tiny tipping point that could cause a pastor to give somebody bad advice when it comes to an abusive relationship because of their desire to see that marriage succeed. Yeah. Or I can think of like good in, intentions in my situation. Yeah, absolutely. Good intentions. Like we obviously are, uh, we obviously think that, um, abortion is something that we would want to avoid, but I'm not a doctor. And there's several times when, um, terrible situations have occurred where there's like a dangerous pregnancy and both the baby and the mom are at risk. And, and, uh, and I don't quite understand it. All I hear is maybe I'm considering terminating this pregnancy and, and my, my culture, my subculture speaks in place of maybe the most sound wisdom. And, and obviously like it's, every situation is different and there's no way to generalize about it, but yeah, like there's a lot of people who maybe you're the best counselor or maybe you're the best therapist in the world, but you went through this when you were a kid and those aren't, those aren't situations you can handle. You have to be willing to give that up to somebody else who's, who's better equipped for that. You know? Yeah. I think let's go to a fun example you brought of abortion. So if someone came to me and said, you know, this is what's going on, um, saying I'm at risk, the baby's at risk, um, and asks about you know, what you think, I of course would say any child from cradle to grave, every life has dignity and worth. Yeah. Um, and yet I would say, I would still ask, well, what did the doctor say? Right. I would still ask. Right. Now I'm not, you can get in this whole debate of, um, some people say, when the mom and child's life is both at risk, what they do isn't necessarily an abortion. You get into semantics and logistics. Yes, I'd say yes, this, yes. even if we had the sit down talk about, yeah, the baby has dignity and worth, I would want to know. And I think it's reasonable to say, where did you get this news from that your life was at risk? Who'd you talk to? If she says a doctor, I'd immediately go, oh, well, whether I agreed with them philosophically, theologically, I would say, well, what the doctor say? Yeah. Because you got from a professional a diagnosis and now you're coming to talk about it. it's the same thing if this girl who i uh this woman who i refer to a therapist i'll still talk to her i'll still hear of out course. of course that sucks but i did one time i go so how to go with the therapist because i don't know that i don't there's just questions sean that they ask and i go oh that's a really good question i don't think to ask it mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not and why would i i'm not trained it's the same thing a mechanic when he looks at an engine there's things he goes, Oh, is it making this sound? I'm like, it is. I didn't even notice, but you're trained to see that. So there yes, is something exactly. to say for one, someone with training. And I'd say this, not every counselor is good. Just like not every fireman's good. 
you, I, I went through multiple calling people till I found a therapist I liked. Right. And she's a believer and, um, has been quite frankly fantastic. So I think, no, there, there's something to be said of that. You're gonna, uh, just cause you go to seminary does not make you a master of everything. Cause stay in your, like, wheelhouse. I'm not saying you can't speak into everything, but just cause you have a seminary degree doesn't mean now you're a political science major, you're a therapist. We're not. And we, that's why we say soul care. We're not licensed therapists. You are not a licensed counselor as a pastor. Right. And you might need to outsource and say, this person knows it. I'm not that guy. And that's right. okay. Right. Totally. And I think I've, I've made the mistake of <clears throat> as a leader in the church trying to answer questions that I had no right to answer. Same here. And, um, and again, that, you know, it all comes back to like, you know, training and knowledge and also like security. It's like, uh, if I'm insecure and I'm worried that people don't think I'm a good leader and they come up to me and ask for stuff, I'm less likely to delegate that to somebody who is right. Cause I want to prove myself or something, you know, and there's ego and there's all of that crazy stuff. I don't know how we got on this subject. Sorry. No, it's uh, everyone had childhood. And here's the thing is Christians like, okay, I've said this many times. Depravity answers a question of why do people sin or do bad things? Because we're human. Because we're frail. Because we're messed up. We're imperfect. But it doesn't answer the question of why that sin in that way to that degree. Why, you know, why this type of brokenness? Why is it one guy's an alcoholic, but another guy's addicted to porn? And that's where the story comes in. I get people are imperfect. Duh. Like I've lived a little bit. I know that. But to look at a guy and go, why is it when someone physically touches you to be intimate, you shudder? You can't just look and go, well, repent, get over it. Well, we're, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm like, I've read the Bible too. Now you get into the story of people. Jesus, I love it. The woman in the, at the well, he doesn't just go, hey, so you're a whore. You need to repent. He has this whole dialogue with her. Peter, he doesn't just say, you need to repent, you depraved pig. He goes, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Even John doesn't say, I am just a guy Jesus hated. I'm just a worm. <laughs> he goes, I'm someone Jesus loved. I was beloved to him. Yeah. And people go, that's kind of arrogant. No, he knew his identity. Yeah. The most important thing about him was he was loved by Jesus. It, there's nothing arrogant about it. And, and I really doubt that if it was this arrogant, sinful title, God would let him use it over and over in the Bible, not call it out. Not He's beloved. He felt like Jesus loved him. People felt like Jesus loved him. And here's the thing. There's not just a call to obey moral commands of don't do this, don't do that. There's a call to positives of do this, do that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's Mm -hmm. don't murder, don't do this. But it also says love your neighbor, love your enemy. Think of people more important than yourselves. Be peacemakers. Live at peace with man as much as is possible. All these things. And the story matters. It's David was a broken king who God used well. I also find it curious that when the prophet came, his dad didn't even bring him out. His dad yeah, didn't even bring yeah. him out. And you go, well, that didn't affect him. I think that's BS. And there's different kings who saw things who were affected by the culture they were in. We have a story. So, yes, I think people are broken. Yes, I think we're imperfect. We, we make mistakes. But there's also a story, and it's not to enable people. It's just I want to see better for them, lead them on a path to healing, and to even say from a biblical perspective, God has better in mind for you. Yeah. To say God has better in mind for you than this, it's because I want to see you restored. I want to see you happy and healthy. I want to see you flourish. It's not to enable people, and the sin part isn't to judge people. It's now I want to see you do what you're made for. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. 
No, I, I think it makes total sense, man. The story is important. I think that people in our society with quick answers and instant gratification, they don't want to wait to hear the story. And so <clears throat> they will react before the story is said. Here's a good example. Actually, I can think of one. Yeah. Um, no secret. Uh, it's been said on this podcast several times. I will say something like, I dislike cops. Yeah. Right. Yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now there's a story to that. And it's actually not as simple as the fact that I just dislike cops. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If anybody pursued me and that story, they would find out I actually. I, I like a lot of cops and get along with most of the cops that I know well. Um, but I, there's, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole background that actually here's the whole thing talking about childhood. Um, when, when I encountered cops as a young person, they wouldn't let me talk. They were not interested in hearing my story. You had some bad experiences. <laughs> I had yeah. some bad experiences and I said, I'm just trying to say, wait, 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 let me, tell you what happened before you got here because you don't know you weren't here and they go get on the ground you know it's never been uh well let me hear your story let me hear you out and i know that's probably their training and i I don't blame them for that (laughs) but either way as i grow older and i try to say well there's something happens with the cops um and and you know this as well as i do we're friends with a person they're like whoever they are Nice guy, mean guy, doesn't matter. They're whoever they are, and then they become a cop, and they change. Something happens, and they do change. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst, sometimes just in a different direction. But there is this change. And there's usually a mustache, and there's usually like um, a superiority complex. But I'm not going to say always, but just often. And um, And when I say I dislike cops... I think all I'm actually trying to say, if you would hear out my story, is that can we just admit that you change once you become a cop? And there's probably many reasons. I would say like someone changes when they go in the military. You can't go into the military and not change. Exactly. There's no exactly. way that experience doesn't affect you for good or bad. For good or bad. And and there's there's something happens there that we should be able to talk about, but nobody with the police especially nobody is willing to talk about this change nobody the officer the officer's family or anybody out there none of them want to they just want to go to i do or don't like cops because it's an easier message yeah. and it takes less characters and it's something you can fit in the tweet less work but um but yeah so like that story there's this whole story and um that's the other thing is uh Right now, specifically in our kind of geopolitical climate, we will no longer consider an anecdote as having any worth whatsoever. No. But in reality, everything is anecdotes. You know, people just want more, I guess, uh, statistically or something like that. But the bottom line is human interaction is based on the anecdotes that that person has experienced up until that point. So is our history books. It's people saying this is what happened. Exactly. And you go, well, it's eyewitness. Eyewitness is just hundreds of people saying I had the same experience. I saw. Yeah, exactly. 
It's I, just a lot of anecdotes. If I can, all right, I know this may not cheer you up, but I've said it before, <laughs> so I won't say his name because I'm respecting his privacy, but the cop I know from Elko, uh-huh. who serves at the church out there, I will say the one thing I, I was impressed by was when you become a cop, you've already known the world kind of sucks. Yeah. But now you're getting called to domestic calls, which are like the most dangerous, I found out. And some guy's punching his wife and she's trying to fight you. Right. He, to his credit, I was kind of worried because I was like, what's this going to do to his marriage? Because the divorce rates can be worse than the military police. Of course. What's this going to do to drinking? I actually find him to be kinder now that he's a cop. Yeah. And and not it's not to like crap on your thing, but just talking to him, I go, somehow, because he talked about at the BLM protest out there, it all went peaceful. And then some guy drove by and calmly put his hand out the window holding a gun driving by just to threaten Jeez. him. He talked so calmly and kindly about it. I told my friend, he said, I truly thank you, man. Listen to everything I had to say. Here's this guy who's younger than me, smart, respected in his community. And he's just listening to me go on and on, politely listening. I'm giving all my opinions. Um, and if you're listening, man, I respect you. You're a great leader. He's a great husband. Sadly, I've seen guys I knew from high school who, first off, they were sociopaths back then. They, yeah. they were nuts. And now yes. they're cops. And I go... What is your freaking deal, dude? Like, it's yeah. turned up to 11. They got, they're always wearing a hat of something, like, <laughs> whether it's military or ammo or, I'm not bashing on those hats. My father-in-law has it, but it's like always a hat, the hat, yeah. the, the glasses, the five o'clock shadow, the same posts on Facebook about the NRA. They are dialed to 11. They're always on. Yes. And I listen and I go, I don't even know if, like, I make jokes about it, but I go, I think you hate humans now. Yeah. Where now, it's not like a joke anymore, like, oh, yeah, I hate humans. It's, I think you see people as scum now. And they've seen yeah. terrible things, but it's, I'll say this, it's, uh, to quote Justice League, there's a animated Justice League where Batman fights an alternate version of himself named Owlman. Mm. And, his universe, Owlman, was Bruce Wayne, but he became this nihilist and this crazy yeah. psychopath. He wants to commit universal genocide. And Bruce Wayne from our world, you know, is himself. And they're talking about their differences and why one went down one path, another went down another path. And he's fighting Owlman and Batman drops him and goes, you know what? There's only one difference between us. He goes, we both looked into the void. He goes, but when you looked, you blinked. Hmm. And it's like, they both... This guy from Elko and this other dude both saw what was terrible about humanity. But yeah. my friend in Elko leaned into human connection and started serving more and connecting and communicating with people being vulnerable and g- became strong in it. Like he's strong emotionally. This other dude was so shaken by it that he gave in and just, in a sense, let the darkness in became like Yeah, yeah. And now it's like there's two types of people, cops and scum. And you go – Okay, man, I don't know how that matches up with the Bible because he's not just including himself in that. It's, no, I'm the good dude. They're all scum. And if they get put down and you're like, ah, okay, man. And it is, he is at 11. All the, like being around him yeah. is tense. It's yeah. not relaxing. It's not enjoyable. So yeah. And I don't think, I think, like I said, there, there's a lot of cops who I really respect who do actually, there's a change that happens and it's a change for good. And I think it's exactly that. It's a, instead of letting that darkness in, it's them still separating themselves from that and, and trying to actively, um, uh, like be a light in response to darkness mm-hmm. instead of just trying to remove darkness, you know? 
Yeah. And it's, there's like a big difference there. But either way, like my, my whole point, and, and I don't think you crapped all over my point at all. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to saying, hear you. I'm trying no, to hear I'm you. just saying like, um, I'm just saying, can we, can we just admit that when you become a police officer, you change and sometimes you don't, uh, you don't listen to people's opinions? Can we just admit that? I would say it would be odd to me if you entered into any career like that and say it didn't affect you. That would be, that actually would be strange to me. Cause to say, oh, I got into Navy SEALs didn't really affect me. Cause how many dudes do you know went to war and the next 60 years of their life, their whole identity revolves around that? That, that a friend of mine actually say, he goes, that speaks to how strong trauma and experience right. is. How could you say I'm a cop and even spent time, you know, dealing with sex offenders with young children and that department? Cause sometimes they make you do a rotation depending on what department you're in. I would say it's unhealthy. That doesn't affect you. But the question is, what, what are you going to do? Because if you let affect you of, I'm going to become this abusive person, that's wrong. But if you let affect you of, man, I need to match that with light or I need to really connect with people and have healthy engagement in relationships and talk to people and be able to express this and talk about my experiences. That, that, that's the healthy way. But the thing is, it would be shocking to me if it didn't. It'd be shocking to me if you become a cop. And I've had to draw your gun and kill someone and say it doesn't affect you. I'm actually much more concerned for your soul. I yeah. absolutely think absolutely. it changes you. And in a way, it should. But my desire for that person would be what type of change and what will your response be to that? Because to put, to say it is proven, doesn't matter who you are, to put yourself in a high stress or turbulent environment is going to have an effect on you. So I'm actually more concerned when a guy goes, oh, I became a cop. I shot someone. It didn't affect me. Yeah. That actually worries me more versus right. then a guy goes, I became a dick. I go, of course you did. Right. Of course you did. But to say, no, it didn't do anything. I go, you're a psychopath. And if you shot someone and did not care, if you've heard of kids getting raped and that didn't bother you, right? that's something else. That's something of like, dude, you need to talk to Jesus because that's, <laughs> that's See, more that's, concerning to me. That's the... That's my the only point I'm trying to make, which for whatever reason is off limits to talk about, and I'm not able to make that I point. I think it's fair. But, fair. Um, yeah, so here, I don't know how it works everywhere, but here, or at least the people that I know, when they want to be in the sheriff's department, mm -hmm. I guess, the or the highway patrol, I don't know how it works. Um, I only know about the sheriff's. I have no clue about the highway patrol. Yeah, so when you get accepted, you start out working in the prison. Yeah, up at and par, And you're a right? prison guard. Or yeah, either at our local jail or or oh, like the prison, a prison, really. Yeah, I'm pretty sure most oh, that's, well, that's most rougher. of those guys. Yeah. You start out doing that, and then you get to finally be a deputy who you know wears the sunglasses and drives in the, in the truck. And so you um, have the wounded warrior hat. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I see. I've seen those people. We've seen those people in our lives who have been the most. Funny, goofy, yeah. easygoing guys, and then they go do this time yeah. for their career and come back and won't admit that no. they are no. changed. Although everybody in the world knows that they're changed. And that's all I want. All I want <laughs> is for them to say, you know what? You're right. That's been rough and it changed my opinions. It changed my perspective and things are different now. That's all I want. And then I wouldn't. I wouldn't have to start off with saying that I dislike cops. 
Um, I think that's fair. I don't but, think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, the whole point to how it all got brought up was like the importance of the story is oh, yeah. give me a minute or three minutes and just hear me out on my story and then you'll see where I'm coming from because I, and I am speaking for myself, I don't have the vocabulary to succinctly say something. You know this as if you're a listener of the podcast or if you're Seth and you know that I'm trying to make a point, it takes me at least 15 minutes to go like what just happened. It takes me 15 minutes to actually get to my point. So give me time before you make assumptions about me to hear my story. And I think that that's our responsibility to really do with everybody who's at least close to us at least moderately close to us in our lives, instead of um, just hearing their face value perspective, actually listening to their story, if they're willing to tell it. And that will actually give you a much better perspective and a much better way, like if they need healing, for you to actually hear that and hear how that healing could occur, mm-hmm. compared to just saying, oh, you're one of these people, or oh, you think this, or or whatever. And I try to do that. And, and my point is like, I try to do that with all the, with the people that I dislike the most, (laughs) right. Or the people that I'm known as disliking the most, which is, uh, which is like, uh, the whites, the whites from the South, (laughs) you know, or sometimes police or something like that. Um, I'm trying my best to give them an opportunity to give me their story. You know what I mean? So I want the same treatment. Well, we as Christians, too, shouldn't be going around othering people. Because that's so lazy to just, well, you're just a stupid Democrat. Well, you're just a stupid conservative. And I would caution this. No matter what job you're in, you need to be careful of something outside the gospel. I'm speaking to Christians. Outside the gospel, of something outside your identity in Christ having such a core influence on you that it affects, this is my view on the world people, how I treat people, how to talk, how I feel, mm. how I interact, how I love, how I think. Because now it really, that's become your gospel to, to really go, well, what do you expect? I'm a cop or I'm a soldier or I'm a doctor. Those are parts of you, but be very careful of having it that you go, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus. But then 90% of your life and worldview is influenced by this thing outside of Christ because there's your identity. I mean, there's your identity. If if it's to such a thing that you go, it changes who I am at the core, and it is who I am, I'm willing to defend and get mad about it. I'm just pissed, ready to fight at the drop of the hat. Anyone who disagrees with me, I go, there's your gospel. Mm. That's your belief system. And, yeah. and I'd say that for everyone, though. I'd say that to a Democrat. I'd say that to a Republican. It's not a... So, all idolatry matters. So... Yeah, yeah there you go. There you Good. Go. So... I think, yeah, like yeah. you're saying, too... Um, it's hard to actually engage somebody's deeper identity yeah. on the internet oh or with text. Gosh, that is just disastrous. <laughs> That's gone wrong for me. So, so many Facebook times. is like, oh gosh, so many arguments. And I think that uh, we're unpacking a lot here because I just started counseling. I think that a lot of my, uh, I think that all of this comes back to the cops. I have this feeling all the time that I'm not, that you hear the, the auditory signals that are coming out of my mouth, not you, but yeah. everybody, that the world hears the auditory signals coming out of my mouth, but doesn't hear what I'm saying. And a lot of times that's their problem. And a lot of times that's me just not having the vocabulary to describe stuff. But 
Um, and it makes me so mad that I reactively, <laughs> especially when I had Facebook and, um, and that's like the thing is, uh, when I hear from somebody who has a lifestyle that I 100% disagree with, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Just like, I just think you're just, you know, on the surface level, I just think people like that, whatever this thing in my mind is, are just pure human garbage, right? Yeah. Um, it's even more important for me to not engage them through typing and engage them personally. Absolutely. Through talking. And that's hard to do. For example, juggalos. <laughs> I just have never, <laughs> I've never been a big fan of them. And I know obviously being straight edge and hardcore to some degree, Seth, you had oh, your run-ins with I the juggalos too. hatred for them. Yeah. But I have, I literally have to at some point say, if I have this thing burning in my heart that every time I want to talk about something bad, juggalos come up, I need to go. I need to go hear a Juggalo's story. <laughs> and, uh, and I haven't really been able to do that yet. Um, but, but I think like there's, there's enough of those people in my life that I could spend the rest of my life doing that. And to some degree, I should, I should make some effort to go out and hear the story, hear more about why people are who they are instead of just, um, throwing them in the category of who they are. That I don't like. Sounds like work. It's a lot Sounds of work. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. I think it is. Well, that's... And people don't want to do work. Shepherding people is not... You don't just text the sheep. You don't just yell at them from afar. It's... Mm. You have to actually come in and guide them. Sometimes even physically carry them. Yeah. Or even scrub the dirt off. It's more work than... Yeah. Typing, it takes a few seconds to share something snarky on Facebook. Believe me. I yes. know. But like... <laughs> Yeah, I've tried to get better at that. No, I think I see this goes back to its story. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to do the work to go? All right, man, walk me through us. Mm -hmm. How'd you arrive here? Who are you? What, what's this all about, man? And, and, and it's not necessarily to win an argument or even change your mind. It's to know them and even give them an avenue where they can just talk, where they can just be human for a second and go here and speak it. And say like, yeah, this is what I've been through. Sometimes even just talking about it is so good. Just to say, just to say, I lived this. What do I do with that? You know? When, so that being said, when we were nine and we, if I were to engage you <coughs> and your story about your, uh, OCD things, ticks or whatever, or routines, if I were to engage you, would you have at that moment just been offended? Or even maybe completely ignorant to it. Not that I had had the capacity to mm. engage you back then. But if I were to, if I were to say, hey, why do you do this? Would that just piss you off? I don't know back then. I think it depends on the person. Um, and, and here's the thing. There is a very good possibility, even now as an adult, you could do everything right. And someone's just abrasive. And hmm. you, like I've tried to connect with people and be civil and they still tell you to piss off. Hmm. And they just want to fight the world they're ready to argue with everyone so there so there is that so one there's that possibility some people just might tell you to piss off regardless you can try to reach to them they are shut off they don't and they don't want they don't want to engage and and they might just not be right at that age though i don't know i think i might have been more tempted to lie because hmm. i don't know if i was ready there was it was such a point of shame i don't know if i was ready to even dive into that and the idea of telling my parents and making that to them to go to counseling would have been embarrassing, just mortifying. Yeah, of course. So I don't know. I don't know if I was ready. 
So if I'm if I'm me and you're you and we're nine, and that somehow I have the ability to engage you in your story, mm-hmm. and you're not ready, yeah. How can I be a good friend? Just wait until you are ready. Support or what's me my responsibility? I would say yeah, support how? me. How? Like this? Like you see me messing with stuff, and you go. Like my wife actually does for me. She goes, is there anything I can check for you? Hmm. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, I can go check the windows in the in the third room and hmm. the lock. She goes, I'll know they're locked. I'll know it's checked. I go, are you sure? She goes, yeah. Hmm. And she comes in. She goes, I checked them. I looked. I am confident. And here's the thing. I'll trust her brain over mine. Wow. Really? So, and even if I say no, just the fact that I go, thanks for trying to like take that burden off me for yeah. a second, just for a second. Even if you say this, I go. Oh, I didn't lock, lock my car, you're all. I got it. You go back, check it, you go, it's locked. And you sure you're all, look at me, it's locked. Hmm. And you go, okay, yeah, you're right, it's locked. Because hmm. now it's not just me, it's two people going, Seth, it's locked. Right. It's good. So, that's what I would say. You gotta, because some people aren't, even if you say, hey, you want to talk about what your parents did? They go, my parents didn't do anything. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Okay, well, so, and it's going to be a hard road when you see them like having a panic attack or anxiety, you're just sitting by them going, I'll, I'll just wait here. If you want to talk, I'll just wait here. Let me know if you need me to get you water, or if you need to walk around and breathe. Because some people aren't, and you can't, and you can't make them. You can't make them. It's, uh, I've tried to do that sometimes, like pushed people a little too much where I was like, okay, I was trying to do their work for them. You can't. So, no. Oh, his headphones are sweaty. It's hot here. I keep forgetting to turn this one. We got anything else? I don't. That's all I had. I just, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Um, I met what I said in the beginning. Uh, Tailsrun Ditch at Gmail. Um, if you've had these experiences, uh, email. I, I'd like to hear them. Just tell your story. Uh, we're not going to go and share them. And um, maybe you'll get to see, like, you're not alone in this. Or maybe you already know that, but it'll just be good to give voice to it. Uh, also, if you're mad at us, I'm sure we said something <laughs> that bothered you, email us. And uh, what's our Patronus? This, hold on. This is a big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. This is the first time. You have ever said that you would actually look at the emails. I know. I usually ignore them. This is <laughs> so first... this is a big deal. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening, make sure you take this opportunity uh, seriously because it might not happen again. This will never happen again. You will <laughs> never get your money back. Uh, what's our Patreon? Uh, Patreon.com slash Tales from the Ditch. We have been supported on Patreon. That's how we that's how we do this. Uh, really? This here scotch, yeah. My wife is a supporter. Uh, <laughs> but she got a calendar. My wife. We made good on it. We have a calendar? Yeah, I made a calendar for anybody who gives to Patreon at that tier. I got to get that tape. I made a calendar. You can see it. It's in my house because okay. my wife got it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to ship it. All right. So, yeah, there's that. And then, um, obviously, we're a podcast everywhere. So Spotify, Player FM, Apple. Yeah, and that's fun. And then um, uh, I think, honestly, like, the weirdest thing has been during the Rona, the churches have been meeting, or at least our church has been meeting online on YouTube. And we've we've said (laughs) on our YouTube sermon or services, it says, uh, make sure to like and subscribe, yeah. uh, so that we know you're there. And, uh, gosh, I hate saying that. And I like never want to say, I never want to say that about our podcast. I, I just want to say, say, I want support, money, and affirmation. Yes. Like and subscribe. Do it now. Not if, through that. If like you're and my subscribing friend, doesn't help do us. It. 
if you're not if you're not subscribing to us and listening to every episode, what are you, are you even my friend? <laughs> yes, but liking and subscribing Give and us rating money. us, yeah, those don't help. Give us money. Give us money. Or in person, <laughs> buy us things. Yeah, help us support shop sandwiches. Support our writing careers. Yeah, help us to retire so that we I've can write books all day. Pages. It's awesome. I'm ready. So, <laughs> all right, that's it. Zip it up. Zip it up. Yeah.